Just want to welcome you into the start of a, a seven-week series that we're calling Foundations. Um, we really felt that at the, the, the start of a year, it's really good maybe just to remind ourselves actually who, who we are, who, who we are as followers of Jesus, what are our, our, our cultural values. And I just was led um, in, in this weekend just to um, start reading the Bible from, from page one, verse one. And if you've read the Bible, if you've read the first page, it says these words, in the beginning, God. Yeah. Amen, sermon over, we can all go home. In the beginning, God. Before there was time, before there was space, before there was plants, before there was animals, before there was chocolate. In the beginning, God. Can I suggest, since at the start of 2024, our, our, our message in our hearts is in the beginning, God. Genesis is, is the, the, the word Genesis means the beginning. It means the creation. So at the very, very beginning, there was God. That word God in the Hebrew is Elohim. It basically means the, the creating one. Actually, if you split the word down, you've got El and Elohim. El means the strong one. Can I, I just, just felt this, even as we were in the prayer meeting this morning, I just felt this for some people, that at the start of 2024, we need to look at this verse and say, in the beginning, God, in the beginning, the strong one. That whatever you're facing, whatever you're up against, whatever you're going into this year, you need to know that in the beginning was the strong one. January 2024, at the beginning of January 2024, in the beginning, is the strong one. I don't know who that's for, I don't know who that's speaking to, but I just needed to speak that out. But in the beginning, God, and I want to I help us this morning as we go into this message, into this series, where we just have this message in our hearts where we say, okay, in the beginning, everything I do at the start of my day, the start of my week, the start of my year, in the beginning, God. Everything else has got its place. But everything else follows. Everything else comes after. And what we want to do this, this, this um, over these next couple of weeks, some of you might remember a few years ago, we, we, we wrote this course. It's a DNA course. These books are available. You can grab one. Um, it's basically a, a manual of, of how we do church. It's what, it's what we believe, um, how, we, how we're structured, um, and how we feel we're called to do life together. If you've never, ever seen this before, you've never read it, there's some of the back. Please do grab one. They probably need updating a little bit, not because um, anything's changed, but we like to keep things fresh. But please do grab one. This is basically church membership in a book. Um, so if you want to grab one of those, you can. But we're going to be taking a look at some of the statements um, from this book because um, I think it's really important in January we talk about, okay, who we are, where have we come from, what do we believe, um, and how actually do we behave. Um, and, and actually, as we, as we go through these values, I, I want to need to explain this. They're not just our values, by the way. These values are not unique to Revive Church. They're not unique to us. Actually, they're Jesus' values. They're Paul's values, they're David's values, they're God's values. And, and when you look at these verses, and, and if you take the book home, and as we unpack these, these statements over the next couple of weeks, what I hope you'll see is actually these are, these are values we all should have as followers of Jesus. Only one of them is exclusive to church. Only one of them. The rest of them are all about, this is actually just how we should live as people. So we just want to unpack this over the next few weeks. Um, if you've got your Bibles, um, and that's a value. Can I, just, can I just lay that one down? This is a value. Thank you, the four people. Everyone else, if you don't have a Bible, take one from the back. They're free. 
Have a Bible. Have it with you. It's a value. This is the word of God. It should be really, really precious. It should be really, really precious. So in your Bibles, which you have got, uh, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. Um, and we're going to look at a really short parable, starting at verse 24. And you'll all know this parable as soon as we start reading. It's a very, very famous um, parable. But it comes at the end of something, um, something else. Jesus tells this story about two builders. And we all know the story, you know where, where I'm going with this. And, and it's the end of what, what Matthew calls Jesus' first big sermon. You might know it as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, or the Sermon on the Plain. Um, and in Matthew's Gospel, he structures a whole Gospel. If you look, really look at the, the, the Gospel itself, it's broken down into five parts. There are five parts to Matthew's Gospel. This is the end of the first part, because it's broken down after five kind of... Uh, big sermons, if you like. And this is the end of of part one. And he closes this great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, where we've heard so many messages on over over many, many years. And he he closes this incredible sermon with a story about builders. And it's really, really interesting. I'll get onto that in a minute. But I just want to start reading from verse 24, if I can. Verse 24 says this, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come, there's no if there, by the way. It's a when. Rains and floods are going to come. And the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty Crash. Really interesting, Jesus finishes this whole parable, uh, sorry, this whole uh, sermon with this parable. And it's a parable we all know. It's one of the very few parables that's been immortalized into song. But who remembers singing this when they were a child? You know, I remember, you know, Tuesday nights in Ponymore Mission Hall singing this song, and there was actions as well. And it's become so ingrained in our culture that a lot of people don't even realize it's from the Bible. They don't even realize it's a, it's a parable, it's a a metaphor, we call a parable an, an earthly story with a, with a heavenly principle. And then this, this parable, it not only is it important enough to be put into a song, but it comes at the climax of Jesus' great big first sermon. And I wonder if you've ever wondered why. Why at the end of the, 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 this big sermon, Jesus' first big sermon, he, he brings a, a story about a careful builder and a cowboy builder. If you start from Matthew chapter 5, you've got 2,000 words, 107 verses, three chapters, and then a story about builders. Jesus was a builder. Before Jesus started his ministry, Jesus would have worked as a builder. He would have have worked uh, with his father, following his father's trade. He would have made a living. He would have supported his family by working as a carpenter. In fact, it's how some people recognize Jesus. There's, a, there's, a, there's another story where Jesus goes home to Nazareth and he's teaching in the synagogue and they're so surprised by what's coming out of Jesus' mouth, they go, hang on, hang on, hang on. Isn't this the carpenter? Other verses say, isn't this the carpenter's son? That word carpenter in the Greek is the word tecton. It means one who makes or uses various materials, wood, stone, metal, in building. So Jesus would have been skilled in building. He would have known about construction sites. He knew about 
building. He knew about how to build things. And, and in Matthew 7, is Jesus is, is sitting on this hill. He's looking around at everyone, and he's probably thinking, okay, I need something now that people are going to understand or people are going to relate to, and that's building a home. Because guess what? In 3 AD, you didn't have Bovis. You didn't have Barrett's or Persimmon or anyone else. You didn't have a house built for you, you either stayed with your relatives and you built an extension, or you moved out and you built your own. Jesus is talking about something everyone would understand, and that's building a house. And so that everyone knows anything about building a house is you start at the bottom. You start with the foundations. That foundation has to be strong. It has to be sturdy. You know, we've got a great example of this over Christmas. Lily's just getting to the point where she's into Duplo. And she will build these great big towers. I mean, great big towers. They're about that high. They're massive. But she builds them one on one on one on one on one on one. What's going to happen? It's going to fall over because she hasn't understood yet that the strength of her tower is built, is dependent on the strength of its foundations. Can I suggest the strength of the spiritual house we build is dependent on what we're building it on. In the beginning, God. And so Jesus is, is speaking very practically, but I want you to see that this, he's putting this parable really intentionally at the end of this sermon because he wants to make a point. That, you know, any, if, you've been, if you've ever heard any message, there's always a climax. There's always a final point. There's always a final thing to send you home thinking. And Jesus gives this great long sermon. And then he says, okay, but what are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond to this message? How are you going to put this into practice? What about you? How are you going to build your life on something? Because he says, I'm going to give you all this teaching. And then he says, okay, you've got to build your life on it. That's the crux of this parable. Is I've just given you three chapters of teaching. Now build your life on it. I want you to see the, the parallels in the parable, if I can. I've got a, a slide, if it's all right, with well, I've color-coded the words um, just, just on, on both sides. I don't know if we got that one. So I should just show you some differences. I think you go back one. Go back. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Is it not there? Oh, no, it's not there. All right. <laughs> it's not there. I thought I'd done... I thought... I'd, never mind. All right, we'll use that one. That one's fine. Um, but you can see, firstly, we've got the man who hears and the man who listens. Can I tell you the difference between hearing and listening? I know that very, very well because I am the worst for hearing but not listening. And I don't mind admitting that, that sometimes I get distracted, sometimes my mind's elsewhere... And there'll be moments where Hannah will be speaking to me and I'm in another world. I'm in another world. I'm thinking about an email I need to send or someone I need to reply to or someone I need to phone. Or, or I'm thinking about an article and I'm thinking about something I, I read and, 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 and sometimes I'm just not listening. And there are times when, when, when Hannah says something and I just miss it and, and, and then I kind of wake up and come round and I've got to ask Hannah to repeat it and now I've got to think really strategically about how I'm going to do that. So usually I'll kind of go, hmm, can you just, I got it, but can you just say that again, just I want to make sure I've got everything you kind of said right, and she looks at me and goes, put the kettle on. 
Can I suggest very gently, there are times when we hear the voice of God, but we miss it because we're not listening. That we'll hear the voice of God. Sometimes we'll hear the cries of our community, but we'll miss it because we're not listening. You might go to the gym or work or college or wherever you go tomorrow, and you might well hear the cries of broken people, and you'll miss it because you're not listening. And we'll miss out on an opportunity to bring Jesus into a situation. I'm so glad as a church we heard and we listened to the cry of T. Chrysler that said, would you bless our residents? And as a church we listened and we acted. I'm so glad as a church, um, I just want to, I don't think Harry's in, but I just want to honour Harry that he heard the cry of a Ukrainian family. And he responded to it. All, all across this church, there are stories of people who didn't just, didn't just hear, but they listened, and they did something about it. To listen is, is something we have to choose to do. We've got to engage our brains in it. Hearing just happens, but listening's intentional. And, and, and both people in this parable, they both hear the word, but only one listens. Only one takes it in, only one is able to follow. I love what James says about how we should interact with the word of God. He says this, that whoever looks intently, that word intently, it's not just a kind of a, a quick skim, but we're, we're reading with intention. This is a purpose-filled activity. I'm looking intently into the word of God and continues in it. I'm going to keep coming back to it. I'm going to keep coming back to the word of God. So read the Bible, review the Bible, keep coming back to it, read it again and again and again, let it soak in. And then he says, don't forget what you heard. Don't just dismiss it. Don't forget it, but remember it. Store it in your heart. One of the things Orthodox Jews will do, if you go to some of the big cities, you'll see Orthodox Jews going around and they'll have a, a, a box kind of on, the, on their arm here and another box on their head. In that box is the Bible. Well, it's the Torah. And it's the Jewish way of keeping the Bible close to their heart and close to their head at all times, remembering the Bible, never forgetting the word of God. So we, so we have to read the Bible. We have to review the Bible. We have to remember the Bible. But here's the one so many of us miss. We have to respond to the Bible. He says, don't forget what you've heard, but actually go and do it. And we can read and study and memorize God's word, but if, if you never, never apply the Bible to your life, you've missed the point. Rick Warren said this, you only believe the part of the Bible you actually do. I'm going to say this another way. There's a difference between believing what Jesus said and obeying what Jesus said. A guy called Chuck Swindle, he's an amazing American uh, author, a great Bible teacher, and he, he, he reworded this parable where he says, uh, a father goes to work for the day, and he says to his children, guys, your, your rooms are a mess. I'm going to go to work, but when I come back, your rooms need to be tidy. And when he comes back, their rooms are still a state. And he says to the boys, he says, what happened? And they said, well, Dad, we, we thought about your words. And, and we liked it. We thought it was good. We thought it made sense. We, so, so we invited our friends around and we told them all about your words to clean our room. And then we had a big meeting and we decided what a big clean room would look like. 
And maybe we talked about how we could clean our room. And then we got some flags and we waved flags about how good a clean room would be. And then we sang songs about how clean, good a clean room would be. And then we, we talked about how our rooms were made clean by Jesus' blood. But we didn't know how we'd get blood out of the carpet. So we ditched that bit. So, so we decided we need to understand your words more. What, so we started a small group. What does it mean to have a clean room? And we discussed it and we studied it and we, we wondered what does it mean when you said you're coming back later and, and what, does, what does tidy really mean and whose room is it anyway? Is it my room? Is it my brother's room? And so, so then we prayed and then we fasted that, that mum would come and she'd clean the room for us. Do you get the point? They heard the command. But they found every possible way to do everything but. They agreed with it. They believed in it. They didn't do it. The builder who built on sand no doubt knew what he had to do, but he chose not to do it. He knew the principle. He knew the right thing to do. But he chose an easier way. says, those that listen and do are building on rock. Those that don't, building on sand. I want to pause for a thought, and a thought for a few minutes, because I looked at this and I thought, well, why did Jesus, and this is just the way my mind's work, but, but why did Jesus say sand? Why didn't Jesus say mud or or, or grass. I believe nothing's in the Bible by accident. I believe Matthew's a man of details. I believe he wanted to get every uh, part of his, uh, his detail right. And it's interesting that Jesus says sand. So I looked into sand. The things I do in my Christmas holiday. I research sand. Um, and this is what the dictionary says sand is. I think we got it on the, on the screen. It's a loose, granular material that results from the disintegration of rock. What are we building our life on? Rock or sand? Talking about, I've just lost my notes. Let me get that back up. It's really interesting because if we, we look at sand, sand is really, um, it's really porous. It can take any shape it wants to. A rock is solid. And it's fascinating because Jesus talks about rock a couple of times. He told you, know, when, when Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the Son of God, Jesus says, what? On this rock, I'll build my church. He doesn't build, he doesn't build his church on Peter, by the way. Peter never, ever leads a church, but it's the rock that Jesus builds the church on. So maybe the rock is the word of God. And maybe sand is what we get when we take the word of God and we think, oh, I don't like that bit. That bit doesn't suit my lifestyle. That bit, bit doesn't suit my life choices. That bit doesn't suit my attitude. That bit doesn't suit my agenda. And what we're left with? Sand. And what happens? It's broken down. We can take the word of God, we can, we can smooth it out, we can rub out the bits we don't like, and, and, and all we're left with is, is sand. It's broken down, it's watered down, it's weak, nothing will stand on it, nothing will kind of stay, stay firm on it. We need the rock, church. 
It's no coincidence during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says six times, you've heard it said, but I say. And they're called the six antitheses, if you want to get into the, the, the theology of this. An antithesis means the direct opposite. So it's like, you say this is black, but I say this is white. And, and it's interesting because Jesus says this six times about the word of God. And, and Jesus, isn't, he's not trying to reinterpret God's word. He's not saying there's, there's something wrong with God's word, but he's saying listen, there's something wrong with how you're expressing God's word. There's, there, you know, there's teachers in, in, in the Sanhedrin and the Jewish leadership who were taking the, God's word and they were interpreting it wrongly. And Jesus says, I want to come back to this because the, the ones he attacks, when you read through those texts, it's the ones that limit people's personal responsibility. And he's going against those people who say this, I can still follow God but do what I want. People who make excuses, people who, who minimize the impact of God's word. When you, when you break rock down into sand, do you know what? It can take any shape it wants. But it won't hold anything. And here's... here's Maybe the, the hard question this morning, are we building our houses on things that have got no stability, no permanence, but just suit us? Or are we building our lives on something that is steadfast, that doesn't creak or crack, that doesn't bow to, to pressures of time or age or culture, a rock that won't be moved, a rock that won't be eroded, that never changes, is always constant, is always consistent. That's the word of God. That when the storm hits, because it doesn't make us impervious to storms, but when it hits, we have a solid foundation. Because that's the thing about this passage, is, is, and we need to remember this, a storm hits both houses. We are not immune to storms. Whatever God TV might tell you, we are not immune to storms. Storms are going to come into our lives this year. Storms came into our lives last year. We don't know what storms are going to come into our lives this year. But I do know this, you will crumble if, if, if your life is built on anything other than God's word. A storm hits both houses. Both the wise and the foolish man, they, they both went through storms, but what separated them was what they built their house on. And it's interesting because if you keep going through this text, after this parable, we've got stories of Jesus healing that I'll just hover for a few minutes before I close. And, and I want to mention something that comes at the end of this parable because it says... They were amazed at his teaching because he spoke with real authority. There's only Jesus' words being highlighted here, but actually his authority. And Jesus goes on, and the first thing that happens, he gives this great sermon. He talks about building your foundation, and then they say, this guy's got authority. Jesus walks away, and then a man with leprosy comes to him and says, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus, you've got the authority to do this. You've got the power and the authority. You can do whatever you want. So Jesus taught with authority. Jesus healed with authority. Jesus moves on. He encounters a Roman officer who says this, just say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus, you've got the authority and I know your word is enough. I'm building my faith and my foundation on your authority. Storm hit both those houses, by the way. You had a man with, uh, you know, in, culturally quite poor, but he said, Jesus, you've got the authority. You've got a Roman officer, culturally quite rich. A storm hit his house, but both of them saw the power in Jesus' authority. I could give you story after story of Jesus either 
healing or changing someone's life with a, with a word, the, the woman at the well, Lazarus, the woman with the issue of blood, Legion, the woman about to be stoned for adultery, Zacchaeus, none of these people Jesus physically touched, but they were all changed because the authority of Jesus changed their lives. I don't know about the band back up, and I'll finish with this. Because this parable is about houses. And it's about foundations. And it's about storms. But when you read through chapter 8 in Matthew, the disciples get into a, a boat to cross the lake. And what happens? They hit a storm. A storm hits their boat. And, and what do they do? They panic. They say, Lord, 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 we're going to drown. And, and where was Jesus when the storm was raging outside the boat? He was asleep. And I love what Mark's version says. It says he was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Who takes a cushion onto a fishing boat? Jesus does. Because he knew the authority who he commanded. He knew who he was. And when Jesus gets up, we need to understand this. Jesus doesn't panic. He doesn't kind of stomp around. He's not shouting at the waves. He's not leaning out of the boat, kind of hitting the water, going, oi, get down. He stands up and he says, oi. The text says he rebukes the wave. In, in the Hebrew, it actually means this, to express sharp disapproval. In the Greek, it's a warning. So we've got Jesus in the middle of a storm using his words to display his authority. And the disciples say this, who's this that even the wind and the waves obey him? I want to repeat the question Jesus asked this morning because the next thing Jesus turned and, turned and said to him, says, where's your faith? What are you building your life on? Whose authority are you following? Now, you may or may not be a follower of Jesus this morning, but I want to ask if I can, what are you building your life on? And, and is it built to last? Because if your life is built on your career or your, or your finances, or, or, or even your, if your life is built on your family, can I, can, I, can I ask the question, what happens when that's suddenly swept from under your feet? Where does that leave you? And that, that could happen to, to any of us in this room, but those of us that know Jesus, that, that really know Jesus, know we have a foundation to stand on. And it's a firm one. Because when you're in a storm, and, and I promise you, and I, I don't want to kind of bring a message of doom at the start of January, but you will be in a storm. Two things will happen depending on what you're standing on. Either you'll be standing on sand and the waves will break you, or you stand on the rock that breaks the waves. So when Jesus is talking about a house, he means your life. He's saying, build your life on me. Let me be the foundation of your life, and I'll hold you when the storms hit. Can I tell you, we, I've been through plenty of storms in my life. Can I tell you I'm going through one? I, I, I don't mind admitting that we are going through a storm, but I'll tell you this, I've never been more convinced of God's faithfulness. I've never been more convinced of his sovereignty. You know, that, that verse that Joseph said, when the enemy means for evil, God does what? He turns it for our good. In every valley, God's faithful. In every season, he's still God. In every storm, he's still my anchor. In every shadow, he's still my light. He's still my hope. Even in my doubts and my struggles, Jeremiah 29 says, what? He knows the plans he has for me. They're plans to bring me a future and a hope. And if I look for him with all my heart, what happens? I'll find him. I want to encourage you at the start of, of a new year to reaffirm your trust in Jesus. To commit to making his word the foundation of your life.
Maybe this morning you need to place your trust in Jesus. Maybe you're, you're new to church or, or maybe you've been in church for a while, but actually you're new to the idea that Jesus is someone you can trust. He's the one whose words make the darkness tremble. He's the one uh, who, whose name, it says, is, is above every name. The one that even the wind and the waves obey him. In the beginning, God. Colossians says that he created everything. John 1 says, in the beginning was the word. It was Jesus. In the beginning, everything was, nothing happened without God being there. God comes first. I'm going to close this morning by coming around the communion table. And normally we do this as part of our part of our worship, but I want to do it this morning, if I can, as an, as an act of dedication. That the reason we take communion is to remember Jesus. We all know the passage in Corinthians. It says that that on the night he was betrayed, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he he took some bread, he gave thanks to it, and then he, he broke it in pieces and said, "This is my body, which is given." for you. Do this. Take this bread in remembrance of me. Then he takes the, the, the wine saying this, this cup is a promise. It's a new covenant between God and his people. It's, it's an agreement that's been confirmed with my blood. There's, there's an eternity. There's a promise coming for you. Do this. Drink this to remember the promise. Do this to remember me. And it's interesting because Jesus says twice do this to remember me. And we, we take communion to reflect and, and commemorate what Jesus did on the cross. We, we definitely do that. But, but Jesus doesn't say, do this to remember my death. He says, do this to remember me. Do this to remember who I am. Do this to remember what I did. Do this to remember what I said. Do this so you remember my words. So we're going to do communion a little bit differently this morning. And the servers are going to come and they're going to give you the bread and the wine together. And the band are going to lead us in a song. It's got these great words in the bridge. It says, I'll build my life upon your love. It's a firm foundation. I'll place my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken.